Okay, let's let's talk about it. Now, interest rates. Let's dive into that topic really quickly. And uh, yeah, we all know Federal Reserve 0.75% just this morning, Malaysian time. What about it, man? 0.75%, do you think it is out of predictions or is this like uh, not a surprise anymore? Go ahead, Mr. Sunny. Yeah, um, no surprise. When we look at basically the um, what the future markets were predicting, uh, there was basically a two-third chance or roughly about 60, 60 over percent probability of a 75 basis point hike and, and, and that was the majority probability uh, for this meeting. Uh, so that came out as expected. So no surprise there uh, uh, in terms of, of what was delivered. Um, and I think that is why the markets basically didn't really move on the actual um, announcement of the 75 basis point hike. Uh, if you look at it, I think the market actually moved in the during the press conference, if I'm not wrong, um, when some of the things that uh, uh, Jerome Powell said kind of uh, 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 gave it a gave it a boost, um, and that's when really people, or rather one side of the market, thought that hey, um, uh, this is really dovish, and 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 everything just took off from that took off from there. So it was a very interesting set, uh, 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 press conference because reading into Twitter, reading into some of the comments today. You can see a very, very um, distinct demarcation between half the room saying uh, Jerome Powell was was extremely hawkish, and half the room saying no, he was extremely dovish. <laughs> and we are listening to the same press conference <laughs> by the same person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no. This is what I want to talk about with you. You know, I think this is the interesting thing that a lot of people will debate about because. Yesterday, I was also talking to our Patreon members. Said we were just speculating what's going to happen. You know, is the Federal Reserve going to go with zero point seven five percent or one percent? Because at the end of the day, this is what will drive the, the markets in the short term, right? Mm-hmm. And my question is now, in the case of interest rates, right? It really just seems like a guessing game, right? It's it's like a probability game where, hey, I I just shoot a dart into the board and see whether we're going to get uh, two thirds. I'm going to hit this spot. Two thirds. I'm going to hit the other spot. So. <laughs> Is there another way of, uh, around this? It, it just doesn't seem, you know, if, if you take a look at a guessing game, play this guessing game, I, I don't think at the end of the day it's really fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, well uh, people in the market, um, they will look into what we call uh, uh, implied rates. You derive implied rates from a few places. Uh, you can derive them from your U-curve. You can derive them from your options. You can derive them. The main one typically is the CME futures markets, um, Euro-dollar markets and such, where you can actually derive, and there's actually a, 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 a particular one which you can derive the actual, not say actual, but the implied Fed fund rates. So as I mentioned earlier, the, the implied rates for this meeting was um, 60-odd, percent probability that would be 75 basis point and that's what we got and the implied rate i give you i'll give you what what the implied rate is at present and uh, and this morning when i sent out a note to to my clients uh um this is what we or this these were the implied rates at that point i'm not sure that they changed over the over the course of 12 hours uh, but the next meeting there is a 70 percent probability of a 50 basis point hike uh, November, a 63% probability of a 25 basis point hike, and in December, a 50% probability of a 25 basis point hike. Okay, so what we're seeing is we're seeing the market now pricing in after this double 7575, the remaining three FOMCs 50 basis point, 25 basis point, 
25 basis point, which would take the Fed fund rates to the range of 3.25 to 3.5. So, so that's what the future markets are, are are suggesting will happen. But I then have to qualify it because the future markets change. And I give you an example. A month ago, a month ago probably it was basically we're going to have. Uh, seventy-five, seventy-five, and this was basically before this particular uh, uh two meetings. Uh, uh, this this particular meeting, we're going to have seventy-five, seventy-five, twenty-five, twenty-five, in the last four meetings of the year. Then it actually uh, uh, uh changed to 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 last two uh, uh uh last two meetings now basically um sorry last two meetings yeah twenty-five twenty that's it one more time. Be- a week before it was 75 75 25 25 to take it to 3.5 to 3.75 that means at end of the year we will see fed fund rates ending at 3.5 or 3.75 now the expectation is fed fund rates will end at 3.25 and 3.5 which means that overall the market is expecting the so called end of year rate for fed funds to be 25 basis point lower than they thought just 2 3 weeks ago so this, this it's a moving thing. People will build in expectation to these kind of implied rates, uh, um, and that's what we're seeing today. Lah. So currently, as it stands, three point two five, three point five, end of the year, fifty, twenty five, twenty five, next three meetings. So in it's actually in accordance to what they previously portrayed, lah. Because previously they also kind of indicated that they're going to end the year with about three point two five or three point five this rate in total. There, there is there is another thing that the Fed. Okay, so the market is one thing. The market will will give its view via the futures implied Fed fund rates. The Fed itself comes up with so called dot plot, where each Fed member will give their forecast in terms of what they expect rates to be. And that's the if you've seen it before, it's this graph with a lot of dots on it, and then they 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 will take the average and and that's the suggested uh, uh, Fed fund rates based on federal. Uh, Fed, Federal Reserve Committee members' expectation. What we're seeing now is we're seeing the Federal Reserve dot plot being significantly higher than that of the market. So the, it tells us basically that um, the market is pricing in the Federal Reserve being much more accommod- much more accommodative, much faster. Um, uh, it's it's suggesting that. Hey, Federal Reserve, you may be thinking that um, uh, rates are going to be uh, uh, higher, but we think you're going to pivot much faster than you think you're you're going to do so. Um, so that's what what we're seeing at this particular point. Yeah, that's that's really a good one, Mister Sunny. But allow me to just dive back into the basic and 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 maybe just allow majority of the audience here just to connect with us. How do interest rates at the end of the day affect the economy? Because maybe some people are still wondering, say, hey, you know, what are we talking about? This interest rates raising 0.75%, 1%, why are you guys talking so much uh, technical stuff? But in a very, I would say, simple sense, Mr. Sunny, how would you explain interest rates uh, into the effect of the economy? Okay, first, first and foremost, I think we need to understand what the Federal Reserve's mandate is. is basically to keep prices stable and to try and have what we call full, full employment. Um, and that's it. They're they're not they're not mandated to keep the stock market up. They're not mandated to keep the economy growing at at eight uh, whatever percentage point. Um, their focus is basically to keep prices stable 
and uh, and basically to 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 uh, keep it uh, keep the economy at full employment. Uh, at their disposal, they have the control over short-term interest rates, not long-term, but only short-term interest rates. Okay, and of course, recently they added the ability to print. Uh, but anyway, let's just focus on interest rates. So by 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 controlling short-term interest rates um, effectively, when you move interest rates up and down. Uh, you are doing a few things. Uh, primarily, you are impacting what we call aggregate demand because, after all, everything is based on rates. I increase rates, your loan, loan, your your housing loan become more expensive, your car loans become more expensive, whatever business loans become more expensive. So that will then uh, impact what we call, uh, in terms of um, um, the overall overall economy, the consumption side, and the so-called business investment side. Okay, um, interest rates also impact um, currencies to, to in, in 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 a certain manner, uh, we, but then the Federal Reserve, I don't think is 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 worried about that. Uh, it's more targeted towards the uh, if you look at the GDP equation, C plus I plus G, X minus M is the C and I, the consumption and the investment part. So by controlling by controlling rates, they actually control uh, uh, to a large extent uh, aggregate demand. Uh, in 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 that in the particular economy itself, whether to 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 entice you to spend more, leverage more, or to spend less and deleverage because it's just too expensive. So that's really the basic basic thing behind it. Yeah, and at the end of the day, if we if there's a higher interest rate, we spend less and we start to hopefully save more lah, which mm. is the ultimate, which, which is the Federal Reserve ultimate goal of uh, bringing inflation down. At the end of the day, that's why they. <laughs> Really want yes. to yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're, you're you brought up a good point. Um, mm-hmm. uh, part of the price stability is also to ensure that um, interest that real interest rates are positive. So real interest rates basically the is nominal interest rates minus inflation. So if you have typically your bank rates, say, say for example your bank rates at four percent, but if your inflation is at ten, you have a minus six percent real interest rates. Because inflation is basically way above your nominal rates, so you so one of the key um, determinants of whether a, a central bank is successful um, is basically whether it can keep real interest rates in positive territory. Because otherwise, people like pensioners, savers, and such, um, they get penalized when real interest rates are negative. Because you your purchasing power is just being eroded. You whatever you save just can't grow as fast uh, as inflation. Uh, so that's key, and 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 when we look at real interest rates in 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 the U.S. and many other developing developed countries, especially, um, they are largely in negative territory because um, most of the G7 central banks have pre- prior to this adopted very low interest rate policies, uh, very low, um, and as a result of high inflation, most of them are suffering from negative real rates. So they're trying to catch up to 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 push it above. We don't think that the or the market doesn't think that the Federal Reserve will need to raise rates all the way to nine percent to get real real interest rates because inflation is definitely going to come off. Uh, let's say inflation comes back down to five, um, then basically the Federal Reserve uh, nominal rates should go to maybe three, three and a half, four. Try and narrow down that real interest rate. You know, you don't really have to go above. Um, I think just a small little negative real interest rate is still is still uh, uh, okay. You can still accommodate that, but definitely not five hundred, six hundred basis point negative interest rate. That is just uh, uh, it hits their credibility a lot. Yeah. Also, also really a good point mentioned there. I mean, at the end of the day, no one, no one wants to uh, pay money to <laughs> store money in the bank, right? <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, exactly. You don't see it because you store money in the bank, it grows at 2%. And then your, exactly. your prices of goods grow at 7%. You're, you're effectively losing purchasing power. No, no, this, this, this part is very interesting because a lot of people don't see this. You know? At the end of the day, they just see that, oh, my bank account is still the same balance every day. But in fact, it's depreciating every single second, right? And if the uh, real, real interest rates are negative, it's essentially just draining away money from my bank account. You just don't see it, right? Correct, correct. So, so it's, it's really a, a mind-bending issue like, that I think a lot of people uh, don't really mm-hmm. understand about. But stay on topic right here. Uh, Bitcoin hiked by 8%. Right, mm-hmm. FOMC press mm-hmm. conference. Mm-hmm. I think when Jerome Powell said something, which I'm not so sure, you probably need to tell the audience what specifically Jerome Powell said. Stock markets in the US also rallied. Probably Bitcoin followed the stock market rally. Like. So what are the key takeaways from the FOMC press conference at uh, 2.30 a.m. this morning? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I think no, no way we wake up at 2 a.m. to go and listen, right? Yeah, no, I, I was there. <laughs> no, rather I was listening to it. Uh, so anyway, um, the reason when I started off the space session earlier on, I said the market was really down, right down the middle, uh, between the press conference being hawkish and 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 dovish. And the reason is this: um, um, verbally, the the Fed was very hawkish. I mean, Jerome Powell said uh, restoring price stability is is paramount. Um, there isn't an option to fail. Um, you know, when you say something like that, it, it shows that the Fed is not going to. F- it, it's focused on getting uh, its 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 itself above inflation, at least inflation under its control, and not allow it to run away. Um, then the Fed said, "We don't think that the economy is in recession." And when you put these two things together, what you have is you have a Fed who is determined to and to to clamp down on inflation. And a Fed which doesn't believe that the economy is in a recession, so therefore when it raises rates to combat inflation, it doesn't have to worry about killing the economy because it doesn't think the economy is in a recession anyway. So that tells you basically that they will go all out, um, no, uh, no hands tied to, 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 to stamp down, stamp out this inflationary fire, so to say. So that, that was the, that's the hawkish um, uh, uh, side of it, which uh, people have been focusing on, say, look, very clear verbally mentioned it was clear for everybody to hear in the room uh, this is what they mentioned okay. the dovish side of it i.e. those people expect um, rates to come off they would then point to the statement where the Fed said okay uh, from now on we are not going to guide the markets by giving forward guidance uh, what we're going to do is we'll become more so-called data dependent meaning to say that um, as the data comes in we will make our decision we won't we won't adopt this forward guidance forward guidance was adopted basically because they didn't want the market to guess too much like you were saying like what's going to work is it going to go up is it going to go down and that causes some uncertainty in financial markets so forward guidance is the central bank will give hints will give guidance to this is what we anticipate we will be doing so that you can you can price it in so that when it happens you're not surprised you know but now, given the uncertainty with respect to a lot of situations and a lot of variables and such, they're saying, no, what we'll do is, as the data comes in, we will react accordingly. Okay, so when you then look and the market says, wow, okay, in that case, when we look at the data and say we, it means the market. When we look at the data, it's telling us that two things are going to happen. Inflation is going to come off because commodity prices have come off, the global economy is slowing. And number two, 
the 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 global economy itself, it's actually on a downhill because Europe is going down, China is slowing down, Asia emerging markets are slowing down, even the US as as numbers have just come out is also slowing down. So when we have inflation coming off and we have the global economy, including the US coming off, we think and we again the market, we think that you the Federal Reserve, when the data is comes in front of you and and right in front of your on your lands on your table um, you will start to either pivot stop increasing rates or even start to cut rates so that sentence we which is we will be more data dependent is what the dovish people then brings out to say aha despite the fact that the federal reserve sounded very hawkish because they said this and because we expect both inflation and the GDP globally GDP to decline it's sooner rather than later that they will actually pivot and and reduce interest rate so that reduction in interest rate is basically what sent the risky assets all higher because as we all know uh, risky assets got hit very badly in the first half of the year when rates were going higher Um, um, one of the reasons is 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 um, when rates go up when you start doing things like uh, uh, discounting cash flow trying to value a company uh, higher interest rates causes lower valuation and so on and so forth right? a bit technical but but at the end of the day um, the uh, the fat u turning uh, is going to do the opposite of what the fat hiking did in the first half of the year which is when they hike uh, all the risky assets fell sharply and so therefore if expectation is that they're going to re- U-turn and start reducing rates then naturally risky assets will start to rally and that's what we saw in the Nasdaq that's what we saw in Bitcoin so it's that expectation that the Fed is going to probably pivot sooner rather than later and, and more importantly they've opened the door to accepting data as the guiding guiding decision to guide their decision uh, the market is like well it's a matter of time the data will show that you will have to reverse course yeah perfectly said Mr. Tani. allow me to just uh, unpack a few points you mentioned just basically what the federal reserve mentioned is that they'll be more data driven right and and they will look at how the market is trying to react and at the end of the day then only they will put forward their policy and markets are right now pricing in the future inflation that it might come down Okay, because we are seeing globally right now, uh, probably we're going to enter into a recession. There are a lot of indicators pointing towards a recession. And you also mentioned that the Federal Reserve uh, pivoting, which in a very simple term, it means, it means a U-turn, uh, where previously they were really aggressive at hiking rates, like the earlier part of the year, from 0.25%, they went to 0.5%, then now 0.75%. Then those hawkish people, those people who think that the Fed will be more aggressive, were predict- was predicting 1% rate hikes. But they were ultimately disappointed today uh, by a 0.75% rate hike. So those dovish people, they were like extremely happy. But let's focus on the ultimate point here. Okay, Is the bear market over? Is, is, is this too early to call the, that the bear market is over? Because mm. if we look at it in a more logical sense and tying back to what you said just now, inflation is coming down. Yes, okay. inflation is definitely going to come down. You see uh, commodity prices not rising as quickly anymore whatsoever. Oil prices has kind of stabilized also dropped back down to below. Last check, $100 per barrel. And um, the market outlook, uh, at the surface-wise, it looks kind of bullish right now. But is it too early to call for a bull run? <laughs> okay. <laughs> if, if, 
if you were to stop time now, okay, keep I mean stop the the hands of of time moving now, then yes, it is actually uh, 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 the best time to buy. It's, it's bullish. So what I'm trying to say is basically, what we're dealing with now is we're dealing with a global economy which is gradually declining in, in growth. Okay, very clearly, we have the World Bank saying that uh, the chief economist of the World Bank saying that um, she feels it's going to be extremely difficult to avoid a global recession. Okay, we have the IMF saying uh, we can't rule out. Possibility of a global recession, and these are institutions which I believe over the years have proven that they pick their words very carefully, given where they they are standing in the in 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 the world. Uh, they don't mince their words, or rather, they don't um they won't say anything which they think will rattle the market unless it's really something which they feel very strongly about. So when they say they think the global recession um, uh, is coming or potentially could be coming again, I have to underline the word "could be coming." Um, they are already sounding a, 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 a warning across the bow. Um, when we look at basically leading indicators from the OECD and such, everything is really pointing to to being a, a synchronized downturn in the global cycle. Okay, so fact of the matter is, we have global economies slowing. So the big question now is, if it turns out to be a mild recession, then we may have hit the bottom recently, or we may just go down a little bit more from the current bottom and extend it basically by another five percent, maybe. Okay, but if that recession turns out to be moderate, don't be surprised if we then start going down maybe another fifteen, twenty percent, because again. Uh, um, I think markets have now rallied back to maybe I think the last uh, the S and P is maybe down 15 year to date, so on. In a typical recession, uh, uh, you will find that basically the financial markets, like or the financial uh, equity markets, go down roughly about 30 30 odd percent. Okay, if the recession becomes quite nasty, leads to what we call uh, a crisis. And that is also potentially a, a scenario. Then basically, you will find a 50% uh, top to trial or top to trial, uh, top to bottom decline because the 50% decline is what we saw in 2000 and 2008, okay, which will work out to be about 35% from here on the S&P 500. So what I'm trying to say is, I think the direction is there, i.e., global economies are slowing. Um, The question on whether the market bottoms or not depends on where this recession takes us: mild, moderate, or deep. And the problem is now we don't know, or we we know the direction is slowing, we just don't know where it's going to make that U-turn. So we can attach probabilities to it, um, and and therefore we can say that we think it's fifty percent chance of it being a moderate recession. 10% chance of it being a crisis, 20% chance of being it, it being a mild recession, and, and so on and so forth. So that's what we can do. So, so I hope I answer your question because uh, um, it's really a question of how bad things. And and and, and some people will say, well, doesn't the market price all of this in? We know there's going to be a recession, but the 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 pushback to this kind of question is, how do we know 
whether it's going to be a mild, moderate or deep recession because as we go along, things start to crop up. As we go along, then we will start knowing, oh, uh, defaults are cropping up. We can make assumptions now to come up with some of these probabilities. Uh, but as, 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 as we go along, we will see defaults. We will see liquidity squeezes here and there, causing uh, 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 companies to find it very difficult to find dollars and so on and so forth. So the, the, if the Fed can't even model inflation, which is one variable, imagine trying to model uh, a global growth where, where it will U-turn when we have multiple, multiple variables involved, hundreds of variables involved. It's almost impossible. And some of these things, you don't know whether when they will crop up and how and the degree to which they will crop up i mean if russia switches off gas to to europe tomorrow then scenario number three i.e a, a, a violent recession is on the cards you know and so on and so forth so it's something which i think um uh, as an investor um, we need to be very careful um, not to just say that it looks as though it feels as though it's 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 bullish um, because we have passed, in my view, the first two risks early this year, which is basically an interest rate and valuation risk. We had a shock when 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 the Federal Reserve and many central banks uh, started to hike rates so aggressively, and that shock was made its way through the system. We had a shock when many financial markets started to adjust lower because they've been going up so much over the past couple of years. So these two shocks, interest rate and valuation shocks, were the ones that caused um, what we saw in the first half of the year, the decline in bond markets, the decline in stock markets, the decline in cryptocurrencies and so on. What we haven't seen is the repercussion of those shocks because those shocks will make its way into the real economy, i.e. Hike, hike in interest rates will have maybe a two or three quarter uh, lag before it starts showing up in the real economy and such aggressive hikes have often caused sharp recessions or recessions. You know, the Fed, the Fed has this track record of the past 13 times they've hiked rates aggressively, uh, 10 times it's, it's led to a recession. There's only three times which they've managed to, to maneuver what we call a soft landing. So historically, they've not done very well, in other words. So, so, so the, 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 the consequences of what was done in the first half, destruction of wealth from valuation, valuation shock, in, uh, massive increase in interest rates, which is going to make its way into the uh, uh, global economies by the second half of this year. So the big question now is how bad will those consequences be in the second half? So in the second half, if you look at it, we've yet to see the so-called default shocks. We've yet to see the liquidity squeeze shocks and a few others which may crop up as a consequence of what we went through in the first half. Yeah. Again, great points mentioned there, Mr. Sunny. And again, let me just really just summarize what you just said. We are in the eye of the storm, like what we've covered previously in our previous session, which for you guys in the audience, if you guys haven't listened to it, head on over to our Spotify tomorrow morning or something like that. When you're driving to work, I think it's the perfect time to listen to our previous sessions. Yeah, basically, we're in the eye of the storm, right? Where everything seems calm. And uh, you mentioned the first half when the Federal Reserve raised interest rates really aggressively, the economy faced a huge, a huge shock, right? And then right now money is being withdrawn, money is being quantitative tightening, lah. Okay, 
And the second half of the shock right there, the aftershock that we're going that we might be feeling is the liquidity shocks, the default from loans. We, we are still not fee- feeling the brunt of it. Yeah. And uh, looking at it, we might be veering towards that path. Huh? So in a more simpler example, like it's it's kind of like you're in the dark, you you walk towards a sinkhole, you don't know whether it's five meters deep or a hundred meters deep, or maybe you you show up at the other end of the earth or something like that, you know. So essentially, when you try to when we try to talk about how bad the next recession is upcoming, or maybe we are in one already. This is why we, we kind of say there's still a lot of uncertainties left in the market, right, Mr. Sunny? It, it's not so easy to go and call like, hey, you know, right now the crypto market is trying to price in the future. Everything seems fine. Let's just buy from here. But it's it's not as simple as it, as as it is, lah. At the end of the day, and yeah, 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 yeah. You you got you got something to say, Mr. Sunny? You can go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So so you're right. Um. So if you want to get into markets, basically you have to have a strategy and you really have to be um, cognizant of, of, of your risk-reward. Um, you know, I hear a lot of people who, who are going into the um, crypto market, especially to buy Bitcoin, for example. So their, 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 their rationale is basically um, at 20,000, uh, I feel that at most Bitcoin would probably fall, let's say, even if it goes into, into um, 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 four digits, 8,000, 5,000. So from 20,000 to, to, to 5,000, that's a $15,000 downside. Uh, but if I hold this thing long enough, um, I think it's going to go to 100,000, which is from 20,000 to 100,000, that's 80,000 upside. So I'm comparing a 15,000 downside to an 80,000 upside. And you can work the ratios out there. I think that's fine. I think if you if you understand that and you have uh, uh, you understand the time frame that you're holding, you understand the risk reward that you're taking. You know, if it then goes below eight, I'm going to cut uh, eight thousand or five thousand. I'm going to cut loss and I'm going to take that loss. Well, it was a so-called trade, and my trade was I expect losses to be limited to five. Didn't work out, so fine. So so people who do this, you know, uh, I take my hats off. I think that you 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 understand. Um, 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 what is needed when you take such bets it's it's the people who think that oh it's the bottom now and let's get in now so the, and, and we'll make our, um, our money when it goes back up to 100,000 and yet they don't take into account the downside because it can still go down so again I'm just trying to say for some people who realise and understand this concept of risk reward maybe put in a stop loss and even if I don't put in a stop loss I can just hang on to it jolly well for the next 10 years if I wanted to I'm fine holding it at 20 because I know it's eventually going to go 100, 200, 300,000 I think those it's 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 then a market which if you want to go in now fine I don't see an issue with it you know uh, it's, it's, it's those who I think uh, um, may not understand this concept which sometimes get burned and get hurt in these kind of markets yeah but at the end of the day it is eventually going to go back to you know, whatever price point you're looking at. Like, you know. And previously, you've also analyzed and compared Bitcoin's market cap gold. I'm sh- you've previously mentioned this before, that you believe that uh, Bitcoin will approach uh, gold's market cap also, which as long as investors have a more long-term perspective, buying at any point of time, it doesn't really matter. You know, <laughs> If you have a 5 to 10 year horizon and considering the denominator which is fiat currency is debasing at a minimum of like what 5 to 10 percent per year especially this year we can see maybe it's 15 20 percent already 
then eventually Bitcoin will reach to whatever price point you want, uh, as long as you have the patience to wait for it to go to that price point. Are we right to say this, Mr. Sunny? Yes, yes, you are right. Um, I just only have to qualify that basically we could be wrong because there's nothing that's 100%. So as long as you understand that maybe one day doesn't turn out to be the case, you know, we have strong arguments that Bitcoin will go up to 500,000 uh, per coin because that's where it matches go in terms of market cap. Everything is fine, but again, there's always that 1% it doesn't turn out. So if you understand that that 1% means you're going to lose uh, whatever you put in, or rather, you're going to lose that 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 stock when you get triggered on your stock. You're going to lose that amount. I think that's fine. So so that's really what I was trying to say. So it 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 you can have the the strongest argument, and and I have I believe very very much that uh, what you just mentioned, all these things. Uh, but at the same time, um, um, you you have that kind of like at the back of your head. Okay, um, if it doesn't work out, then basically this is where I limit my losses, or this is where I say okay that's enough and such yeah which is ultimately why you don't bet the whole farm you know don't put your whole life savings or whatever into a particular cryptocurrency or a shit coin or maybe even bitcoin right? just make sure to spread your eggs in multiple baskets but let, let me just move into another topic right here yeah let's talk a bit about recession just now we mentioned uh, this also the federal reserve says we're not in a recession you know well from from what i heard the uh, press conference uh, what Jerome Powell said is like, oh, a labor market is still very strong, employment rate is still very high, you know. I don't believe we're in a recession, and I don't think the United States will enter a recession. <sighs> is what he says, is it true or or, or, or what? You know, what what are we looking at here, Mr. Sunny? Well, it's 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 there's there's ha- some truth to it, there's half truth to it. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> Typical recessions would, would encompass and the National Bureau of uh, Economic uh, Research or Statistics, the so-called stats department in the US, um, which calls for this so-called, um, they will be the one who, who, who will put a stamp on when recessions, where are the recession periods. I think they have a much broader definition than the pure technical to negative quarter uh, on quarter negative growth and such. So their, their definition is you need to have not only the decline in, in output, you need to also have a decline in, in employment. And when you see all of this, then we would actually call, call it a recession. Otherwise, it's, it's, it's just, um, you know, it's weird to call for a recession when you have employment, yeah. food, when you yeah. have the economy at full employment. Sorry, sorry, Mr. Sunny. Let, let yeah. me just cut you there for a while. But employment and the uh, labor market right here, all these are lagging indicators, which means that they show up later when yeah. the recession has already happened then only employment rate starts to drop. So essentially, you know, by the time you wait for employment rate to, to drop, it's already deep into a recession already. You know? So is there any way for an indicator to predict way ahead that we are going to enter into a recession? So it's a, it's a technical thing. And that is why uh, the NBR, which calls, which actually determines when the US is, is in a recession, they only make these recession calls later on. You know, we may be in a recession today, <laughs> but it's just that it's just that uh, uh, two quarters from now, they will then when all the data comes in and maybe, you know, uh, um, next few months, uh, employment rate declines, then they'll say, OK, it fits the definition of recession and they'll come back and they'll draw this grey p- period and say, oh, this was a recessionary period. So recessions are always called with hindsight. 
and and for the fact that you mentioned because many of the indicators uh, or a bunch of the indicators are lagging indicators okay so the, those indicators that are telling us that there is a recession today are what we call either the forward-looking indicators or sometimes what we call the coincidental indicators indicators which at this particular point when you look at it uh, um, uh, um, the Michigan University of Michigan Confidence Index, which is published on a monthly basis, you look at oh, it's at historical lows. Oh, basically every time it hits below a certain pre- uh, number, it does suggest a recession. So everything indicates that basically we are in a recession based on this particular indicator. And there are a whole bunch of indicators which are telling us it's a recession. We are already in a recession because historically, when you reach these X Y Z levels, uh, it ought to be a recession. So that's how economists and strategists like us um, 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 kind of uh, get a feel that hey uh, it is looking to be like we are in a recession because these indicators are telling us but officially from a technical basis it still needs to be called uh, later on uh, by the NBR who will come back and say yeah this period was or this period wasn't uh, it's just that one of the indicators that they use which is employment doesn't seem to fall in line although there are already hints that this is going to come off because we are when you look at employment you could make an argument that we are actually in a very very unique situation not one which is very normal in many respects i mean i don't think in history we've had a situation where there's a reopening of the um, uh, economy okay so basically um, there's a rehiring uh, because now that the uh, economy has reopened, everybody got, got either retrenched during the uh, lockdowns and such. Um, um, companies are now rehiring because ac- economic activity is picking up. And yet we had a period where well, there was a big retirement or, 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 or we call it a great retirement where people opted to retire early or move out from the workforce because they felt that, that, that life is short and COVID has told me that uh, has has woken me up to 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 to, to reality that I, it shouldn't be all work, you know. And then we had a whole bunch of so we had a whole segment of, of workers leave the the labor force because they felt that they they wanted to do something else. And add those two things together, now you you have this, and, and and to and to make things uh, to add add some one more thing into the into the soup pot, is that the markets were doing so well last year. A lot of people actually like were making tons of money in crypto and the stock market. They actually left and said, "I I made enough money to 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 retire and such." So so you add all of this together, you got an economy which is now opening and looking for workers, and you have a whole bunch of workers who left and not are not coming back. Yeah, maybe they are sooner or later when they start realizing that I've lost a lot of money in the stock market. But at this point, there's a mismatch between supply and demand because of, so it's a unique situation, and that is why demand for labor is so high. Um, but it doesn't. The figures don't tell it, or the figures basically just say employment is high, unemployment is low. Yeah. So yeah. So that's the, that's the unique situation we are in. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether the Fed takes that into account. I don't think so because otherwise they would have reacted accordingly. But, but 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 that's the reality of it. Uh, de- definitely not lah. I, I think definitely <laughs> Federal Reserve didn't take that into account. In fact, this is the first time since uh, COVID came out that they never mentioned anything about COVID in the entire session, which was just really surprising to me. Now, you guys in the audience can go and listen to the replay uh, of the uh, Jerome Powell Federal Reserve press conference. Just go and 
uh, search that on YouTube. It's an hour session. Highly recommend you guys to listen to it, though it's a bit boring. Uh, but a lot of information shared there. But the point where they don't even mention about COVID at all, this really surprises me. Because to add more stuff into your quote-unquote soup pot over here, <laughs> COVID cases are rising again, Mr. Sunny. Yeah, let's face it. The United States, yeah, 100,000 cases per day, last I checked. Malaysia, yeah. three, 4,000 cases per day. And uh, China is recording about seven to 1,000 cases per day, if I'm not mistaken. What to, to add on more is we have a new, what, monkeypox, we call it. It, it, can, it can be a potential what, outbreak also. So, at the end of the day, if you jumble all these things together, right, it seems like, yeah, I think the Federal Reserve is really at a tight spot right now. Right? <laughs> uh, mm, yeah. yeah. So, okay, now, now that we've settled the uh, Federal Reserve part already, we know that the Federal Reserve is uh, going to be a bit more dovish in the future. The September rate hikes are going to be coming down to about 0.5%. But that ultimately depends on the inflation data, right? So if inflation data, let's say it comes out red hot, then obviously we're going to expect the Federal Reserve to turn back on whatever dovishness they said and immediately hike rates more aggressively, right? Correct. That would be the worst case scenario in my view. Exactly. Um, is, there a no one... is there a possibility for us to see that? No one expects CPI to stay at least the the the, the rate of growth year on year numbers to stay high. Um, everybody anticipates, given the base effect, given what we've seen on commodity prices, for year on year CPI to start tapering off nine, eight, seven, six, maybe even five and such. Can it stay high? That's the that's the 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 the, the black swan here. Um, and the answer is yes. Um, when you ask people who are dealing with physical demand, not just paper uh, instruments on the various commodities like um, you know, maybe even copper and, and oil. I mean, oil has come off. Uh, but when you look into some tweet, Twitter feeds where people are, are on the ground talking about physical demand, they will tell you that physical demand is still tight. And a few other industrial commodities also is still tight on the physical side. So some of this decline in commodity prices were basically on the back of, 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 of hedge fund selling, uh, long positions, unwinding, um, uh, because an anticipation of a recession and such. So nothing to do with, not say nothing, but very little to do with, with, with actual supply and demand, more to do with the, the, the market side of it. Uh, if that's the case, um, basically, that means that um, uh, we could see uh, prices remain elevated uh, um, throughout the next couple of months and not come down. I, I've always said that basically it's not enough to have 5% CPI or, or, or whatever PPI year on year. It's not even enough to have 0% year on year because you know oil prices at 100 today oil prices at 100 next year is 0% year-on-year growth. Looks nice, 0%, but oil prices remains at 100. So nominal price remaining at 100, that's very, it's very difficult for economies, households, to, to businesses to absorb and to operate at $100 oil prices, despite the fact that there hasn't been a growth in the price of that oil for one year. Um, so that that's, that's 
um, the, 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 the major risk. Um, and, and one black swan coming out from the left field is we're still not out of the woods in terms of the energy crisis with respect to Russia uh, and Europe uh, and such. All it, all, it, all it takes is one disruption somewhere to then reignite inflation again. Just imagine if if Russian Russia kind of like just maybe not switch off totally, or they already started to reduce some of the um, um, gas going through the the, the, the the pipelines now. But because of that, um, um, European manufacturers or European supply chains become disrupted. Um, what happens? Because the world is so integrated now that a disruption in the European supply chain will then permeate through to Asia and the rest of the world, which then again leads to higher prices because we've got a disruption in supply chain. So I, I, I'm not, I, I don't profess to be an expert, but I've been reading about people who, who say that th- these things are so fragile that we shouldn't take it for granted because one small kink, one small um, disruption easily could have a butterfly effect and cause prices to move up again unexpectedly. Um, so yes, it could be a case where where all of a sudden uh, CPI comes down and suddenly starts moving up again because we have one of these issues cropping up and that would be disastrous because the market hasn't discounted that. Hello. Hello, Mr. Sunny. Can you hear me? <laughs> I can hear you. All of a sudden, quiet. Too, 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 oh, yeah, too yeah. Sorry. Music. Because I accidentally clicked on the uh, voice transformer oh, okay. thing. Is this a new Twitter chair? Wow. I, 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 I'm not going to explore <laughs> this just yet. I was wondering what's happening with my Twitter. But yeah, again, thanks thanks for your points covered over there. It's, it's, it's really too early to call for the bull run right now. There's still too much uncertainty out there. But yeah, Mr. Sunny, Sing Dollar and Malaysian Ringgit. Mr. Sunny, you are a Malaysian, but you are working at Singapore. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got nothing to say, uh, but you're enjoying the high life, uh, basically. Because Sing Dollar right now is at 3.2. Oh, it's at its all-time high against uh, the Malaysian ringgit. It's even strengthening against the US dollar, you know, the Sing Dollar. So, what's going on here, Mr. Sunny? Can we just talk a bit about this? Um, okay, so when we talk about currencies, we always talk about two, a pair of currencies. In this particular case, you're talking about Sing against Ringgit or Sing against US. Lah, okay, um, and how they interact determines where your your currency goes. So, meaning to say, if um, it could be Sing strengthening, Ringgit weakening, it could be Sing strengthening, Ringgit strengthening at the same time but not as much as sing and you still see basically the sing sing ringgit going up so it's, it's an interaction of these two currencies which determine eventually um, um, the level of the exchange rate okay right now what's very very clear is that the sing dollar is on a strengthening path and how can i be so certain that it's on a strengthening path well it's because the monetary authority of singapore is one of the very few countries in the world which does not use interest rate as its monetary policy tool. Instead, it uses the the Sing dollar, a basket 
value of sing uh, sing dollar as its monetary policy too meaning to say whenever it feels that there are inflationary pressures like currently today it will strengthen the sing dollar it will guide the sing dollar from a, on a basket basis but you can always view it from 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 this, the the sing dollar being strong against us dollar and the rest of the currencies uh, it will consciously guide the sing dollar to be uh, on a stronger path why because singapore basically imports the majority of things it needs it's a small island you've all been here before you know that we don't have we don't have our own chicken and so on and so forth so we need to import everything from malaysia and the rest of the world when you import basically when you have a strong dollar sing dollar you import cheaper so meaning to say you do not import inflation or you reduce the inflationary importation of inflation because you have a strong local currency so that's the idea behind managing the sing dollar as a monetary tool instead of managing in local domestic interest rates okay so in this particular case the mas has been very aggressive um again nothing different from other central banks other central banks raise rates the mas says we will strengthen the sing dollar so this is the re- this is the effect that you're seeing now ie the sing dollar is actually gaining strength against uh, almost all currencies yeah, and, and so on so now sing ringgit okay then you have to bring in the ringgit side of it um is the ringgit st- strong or is the ringgit weak okay um from my look at the ringgit and i think i've put it i put it out on a, on a tweet before um the ringgit is actually relatively strong the ringgit is weak against the dollar but so is a whole bunch of other currencies they are weak against the dollar because the federal reserve has high interest rates so high and so fast that the interest rates in the US currently today swamp interest rates everywhere else in the world causing what we call a very wide interest rate differential which is supporting in favor of the US dollar so US dollar is strong against everybody lah so that's 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 the point why do i say that the ringgit is actually quite strong because when you place the ringgit again ringgit against the baht against Uh, non-commodity current non-commodity currencies like the Filipino peso uh, even the euro you will find that basically uh, the ringgit has strengthened when you place the ringgit against commodity countries or commodity currencies like Australian Australian dollar uh, uh, Indonesian rupiah you'll find that it's trading sideways because both commodity currencies have strengthened at the same time So it's when the ringgit is compared to a non-commodity currency that the ringgit has strengthened. So why do commodity currencies strengthen? Well, because if you are a commodity export exporting country, you export palm oil, you export oil and such, you then receive foreign exchange. Okay? And 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 basically that strengthens uh your your balance of payment your current account then switches over to becoming a surplus and that actually strengthens your balance of payment and that actually results in a stronger uh local currency itself okay so so bring all this back to the sing ringgit i think what we're seeing is we're seeing the ringgit actually strengthen but we're seeing the sing dollar strengthen more than the ringgit going forward what potentially could we be seeing potentially i think the path is clear because i think the sing dollar will remain on a strengthening path but i kind of worry that the ringgit may actually lose some of its strength because we are seeing commodity prices come off 
So some so some of the weakness today we're seeing maybe is relating to related to some of the decline in palm oil, some oil prices and such. So if you ask me, I think we've not seen the top in terms of sing ringgit. Uh, we could potentially be be moving higher on that. Um, that also brings me back to 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 the dollar itself. One thing that I'm very worried about is this strengthening dollar, and if you Remember, I spoke earlier about what the market's pricing in another at least 100 basis point to the end of the year. That will bring so-called dollar interest rate differential to be way higher than other countries. I mean, just imagine um, um, the US dollar now going 100 basis point higher to the end of the year. I don't think Bank Negara, for example, is going to raise rates another hundred basis point. Uh, I don't think the Europeans are going to raise rates another hundred basis point, which means that differential is going to widen, which means that the dollar will be will be strengthening against most other currencies. What worries me is a lot of emerging market corporations have actually borrowed in dollars over the past couple of years quite aggressively, um, with so-called um, um, the need to make coupon payments in dollars, the need to make maturity payments uh, in dollars, uh, lump sum maturity payments, um, we could be facing a situation where there could be a dollar squeeze. And we are already seeing some signs of that, the initial signs, not nothing serious at this point, not only here in, 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 in our part of the world, but also in Europe. Uh, again, following some people who follow this closely on Twitter, they are really saying there are some signs of, of dollar shortages here and there, here and there. Okay, so that's something I'm looking out at. I'm looking at in the second half of the year, uh, which is again tied to what we call a liquidity shock, uh, where we could actually have some some situations where companies and corporations and even sovereigns may find it difficult to get their hands on certain currencies, especially the dollar. Yeah, I think you pretty much answered uh, Ryan's question over here. I pinned it up on the space also. He was oh. asking about uh, whether Malaysian ringgit was strengthened against the US dollar in the near term or not. Well, the answer is no. Lah. We are, we are, we are... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to clip your wings, Ryan. Oops. Uh, not because we're not patriotic Malaysian. <laughs> just about the... Uh, tying back to what you said also, right? Let me just unpack. Huh? It's about the interest rate differential, right? It's seeing which countries raise interest rates the fastest. And right now, the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates so quickly that Bank Nagara is not even willing to catch up. China is actually lowering, lowering their interest rates, if I'm not mistaken. The EU, they are not even raising their interest rates yet, which is why you see the Euro- European uh, currency dropping to almost on parity, like a stable coin to the US dollar at some point of time. Uh, I have to interject here They, they did sure. uh, hike the other day 50 basis point But from minus 50 to this brain back to zero ah. <laughs> yeah. so, so eventually it's not, so st- it's, not a, it's not really a stable coin anymore Now it's a bit above the US dollar <laughs> But then again They're still extremely slow uh, In terms of the rate hikes Compared to the Federal Reserve And we, we are seeing this pattern Emerge throughout the whole world Which is why the US dollar right now Is so strong but here's another argument, Mr. Sunny. Okay, that, that Malaysians always use. Malaysia is an export country. Okay, so if the US dollar is strong, since Malaysia export exports a lot of goods, it should be good for a weaker Malaysian ringgit, right? Oil prices, with it being like almost $100 per barrel right now, and with the government subsidizing 
of oil prices, then it's not so good, isn't it? Because right now, the government, apart from needing to pay more in terms of rising oil prices, they need to pay much more also in terms of their currency, the Malaysian ringgit weakening, right? So it's kind of like a double-edged sword, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I think um, you're absolutely right. So they, so there is a level where um, many emerging markets will tolerate, and and this different is different from for different countries will tolerate uh, a weakness in their currencies because if they are geared towards export, then that is actually a plus. Okay, but but that's not just the only variable involved in this whole equation because it has they have to also think about number one. Uh, what about capital that's in my, especially short-term capital that's in my capital markets? Um, um, weaker ringgit will cause losses for foreigners who have invested. Will they go out? If they go out, then it's actually pressure on my currency, uh, a reverse flow, um, so to say. You know, number two again, uh, do I import most of the stuff that I, I I have in my country? Again, you know that brings in inflation, in domestically from from externally. You know, and 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 so on and so forth. So yes, correct from the perspective if if we're talking about just earning one US dollar from a barrel selling or six or eighty US dollars from selling a barrel of oil and then converting it to more ringgit, therefore um, revenues are higher. Totally agree, uh, but it's a little bit more complex, I guess. Uh, it's, and it's different from country to country, lah. Yeah, I I think Mr. Sunny. You also know about this, lah. But Malaysia's oil is highly subsidized by the government. You know, when it comes to uh, fuel prices, allow me to just uh, approve Haikal up. Hi, Haikal. Let wait. Just give me one second to approve you. Yeah. Uh, just a few things to comment, lah. Um, since you are actually talking about ringgit right now, right? So what Mr. Sunny highlighted is exactly the dilemma we are facing because we are somewhat like Singapore where we actually import our inflation which is felt at by the populace the people lah basically like for example you uh, if you notice our latest CPI numbers it's at what 3.4% but when you look at the breakdowns the devil right most of the the higher ones are actually on food which is actually important so you see the, there's a dilemma here between you you want to take care of corporates because corporates, uh, Malaysian corporates actually profit when ringgit depreciates. They are ringgit depreciate and their external assets also grow lah in ringgit terms. But when it comes, when it boils down to consumers, right, they you're basically killing their, their purchasing power because uh, uh, part of our inflation is also actually actually important like Singapore. So in a way, it's like uh, what what should we do right now? Which is why during the last session, if I if you recall me saying that we need to improve our food supply chain and whatever, because the problem is the very things that drive our inflation on the ground inflation, which people actually feel, is important, like Singapore. But at the same time, we are also we are also like if we go on the Singapore route, if we actually intervene in the FX market, you are actually going to shrink your other your corporate's external assets because our external assets are larger than our external liabilities. So if we go and strengthen ringgit, our corporate assets will shrink down, external assets will shrink down. So we're like, hmm, what, what should we do? <laughs> so that's one thing. Lah. So when you're in, well, when you're making policies, you're actually like, uh, okay. So that's the one thing. The second thing is like Mr. Sani also mentioned, it's, it's true that uh, 
Sing dollars uh, policy is interesting where they actually target rate, they actually target exchange rates. And you can actually confirm this by seeing that Singapore's monthly foreign reserves have been falling because um, I guess because uh, ringgit, uh, Sing dollar has been strengthening. So they must have also intervened a bit to keep Sing dollar strong. So that's also another proof that actually must is propping up their currency. Lah. And again, as I mentioned earlier, we are in a, we do not know what to do. So we are just uh, letting markets decide where ringgit goes lah at this stage. And of course, I cannot say anything about where it will go because that will, because that's not my job anyway to speculate on ringgit. But that's the situation going on uh, from uh, from a central banker's point of view lah. Um, and also another thing. Earlier, Mr. Sunny mentioned that um, one of the Black Swan events is about Rus- Russia closing the pipeline to Europe. Now, there's another there's another Black Swan event that is much more localized and much more relevant for us Malaysians, which is China-Taiwan relations. That's an even bigger <laughs> bigger Black Swan event because we because uh, as you know, China has. Uh, has been facing some issues uh, internally with their economy slowing down and also at the same time the CCP has been quite hawkish on the Taiwan issue and of course the United States being the whatever you call it being the tukang cucuk with Nancy Pelosi intending to go to Taiwan to whatever reasons to secure the chip uh, to understand the supply side of the chips or whatever issue, whatever she has in her mind actually, will probably make the situation compli- more complicated than it seems. Lah. So that's also another Black Swan event, which if it happens, we do not know yet what will happen, what it means to the economy. So that's also another Black Swan event to think about. Lah. So those are the three things that I wanted to add on, lah, basically. Yeah, well, very good. Thank, thank you, Haikal. I think, um, as usual, um, you always give a very good perspective because you are a central banker yourself. So, so um, it adds a lot of color to to some of the things I I, I say lah. I was expecting you to say when you said European has its own black swan, Malaysia also has its own black swan. I, I thought you were going to say, kita punya black swan is the blackout that we often have baru baru ni. It surprised me. That surprised me too because I suddenly my friend eh. Bank negara blackout tak? And I was like, huh? Blackout? Why? That's is blackout tau. And I was like, oh really? And then just uh, received the news, oh, um, a lot of places in Malaysia blackout, what's happening, man? This, what, election coming up? Uh? Is it? <laughs> not blackout? sure, not sure, not sure. <laughs> yeah. But uh, 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 I think overall, I think uh, um, just touching about Malaysia and 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 talk, talking about black swans and such. I think one thing um, that and we were talking earlier on, Shinji, uh, uh, about the oil subsidies and such. I think it really, really has come to a point where, um, and I think the government has put in some effort in this in this sense. But it's really come to a point where fiscal austerity. Um, um, I was trying to save up for a rainy day has to take precedence. You know, um, and what I'm trying to say is basically this: you know, we have a good opportunity to earn oil revenue because oil prices are very high. But a lot of the oil revenue goes to pay off 
the subsidies, which means that net net we're not utilizing um, the the gains from higher oil prices. Unlike the Norwegians, which have grown their so-called sovereign wealth fund to more than a trillion dollars, you know, uh, our sovereign wealth fund, Malaysia sovereign wealth fund, if if, if we want to consider Kwan as a, a sovereign wealth fund, uh, or rather, oh, it's not sovereign wealth fund, but rather oil stabilization fund. Um, is still, I think, in in the billions of ringgit, probably one billion US dollar and such, compared to one trillion. Um, because at the end of the day, looking into the future, oil will eventually run out, you know. Um, and when that happens, you need another mechanism to support the budget. Um, and in the case of uh, Norway, uh, once you build up your 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 stabilization fund to about a trillion. You earn basically three, four percent on 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 as investment gains. Those gains can be used to supplement your budget every year. So, what you lose out in terms of oil revenue, uh, uh, in in your budget, you basically replace it with investment gains. And that's the same thing with with, with Singapore, which has grown its reserves massively. Um, there's an uh, allocation of I think. Uh, it, there's a rule here where you know current government can use about fifty percent or whatever they make, and then they need to save another fifty percent and such. So, so many countries in the world have started to grow their so-called reserves, uh, domestic reserves or, or stabilization funds. These are not foreign reserves that that that's got to do with Bank Negara, um, so that these reserves eventually will help to supplement the fiscal budget that every year the government needs to 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 find money to 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 run the country um and so i think something has to be done while oil prices are still high uh, because if we waste this opportunity and oil prices start to come down once the production starts coming in you know and so on and so forth we now then trade oil prices start trading back at 40 dollars per barrel for the longest time and eventually goes all the way down to 20 because solar comes in green energy comes in and it eventually will come in uh, we've really lost an opportunity now. Mm, yeah it, it, you know back to the point where uh, to just really unpack what you just said again sub- subsidies uh, is basically what's keeping our inflation from spiraling out of control right now yeah. and uh, just take a look at when you guys go to the gas station and fill petrol into your car look at the difference between the yellow color one and the green color one okay round 95 and round 97 and you will understand which one is subsidized and which one is at the market price right now <laughs> and the government this year alone has spent over 80 billion dollars just to subsidize uh, oil and other stuff lah. so essentially <laughs> i don't know how long this will last but the government is trying to remove their subsidies right now which triggered a massive protest uh, last week so-called the turun protest and they are proposing to do targeted subsidies. Now, we will debate on whether uh, targeted sub- subsidies will work or not, but there's a question from the audience right here. I got a DM. It's, can you comment more on the new global reserve currency? How will it impact us? Wow, this is an interesting one. The new uh, multipolar currency, so-called BRICS, B-R-I-C-S, uh, partnered with Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. What's happening here, Mr. Sunny? And uh, will we see the de-dollarization begin? Well, the, the de-dollarization has already begun. Um, you know, um, although not in, in, in any uh, quick manner prior to this. Um, you know, there were instances where trade 
took place. I think, in fact, Malaysia was paying for its mixed air, mixed aircrafts in palm oil, right? <laughs> so not in dollars. So so uh, here and there we had prior to this. But what really accelerated this de-dollarization recently has been, um, I think, the Russian sanctions couple of years, which started not to not now, but couple of years ago, but just strengthened recently because of the war of Ukraine. Um, um, China. Uh, um, also has become quite edgy because it holds a lot of um, U.S. treasuries and such. So countries which are not aligned to the to the U.S. and to the Western world have have come to realize that um, in this time and age, um, it's quite easy for a superpower like the U.S. to just cut off um, dollar supply or even make it very difficult for them to convert if they have dollars to convert it to 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 use i mean they've they've eventually taken russian banks off swift uh, and so on so the next best alternative of course is to then go and um, create your own trading blocks where you start trading in your own currencies meaning to say if if you if you if i'm china you're india i'll i'll, uh, I'll China is going to buy goods in Indian rupees, and Indian India is going to buy goods in Chinese yuan and, and stuff like that. So you kind of sidestep the dollar, uh, uh, and of course you can create your own block currency, so to say, um, and everybody then trades using that 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 currency itself. So so and then again you sidestep the dollar because you're not using the dollar anymore. Okay, so so that's happening, but it's really a slow motion. Not say slow motion. It's it's gathering pace. But I don't think we will see it like become um, 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 the the reserve currency of the world overnight or in a very short term. You need to do a few things in order to dethrone the dollar from where it's currently sitting. Uh, among these things is number one, you need to bring down the dollar dependence in world trade. A lot of world trade is being settled in dollars. I think at least 40, 50 odd percent or more is settled in dollars. Um, and as long as people settle in dollars, means they demand dollars. Okay, you need to bring down basically um, do, uh, debt denominated in dollars because a lot of emerging markets, especially emerging market uh, 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 sovereigns and also uh, corporations, tend to issue uh, bonds in dollars. It's more stable for them because their local currencies may be very volatile. Um, and when you issue a bond in dollars, it means that you need dollars to pay both your coupons and you need dollars to pay the maturity of that bond, which is, again equates to demand for dollars. You need to actually decouple oil from being paid in dollars because otherwise every single barrel you you want to buy you need to go and source for 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 dollars itself. So these three things itself basically results in a natural demand for dollars. And as long as that demand remains, then of course it's very hard to dethrone the dollar from its its throne or its place as king of all other currencies, i.e., a reserve currency itself. Having said that, um, I'm also beginning to hear about. Um, um, how uh, the de-dollarization is actually um, gaining pace. Um, so in, what I would say is basically, I, I think it will happen in my lifetime, um, uh, although I'm quite worried, but it will happen in my lifetime um, and not something which I think is the next 50, 60 years. So we could see within the next 20, 20 years itself or even 10 years, um, these kind of um, uh, the de-dollarization actually take place very fast. Someone wrote something very interesting recently. Let me try and recall how to put this. Um, it said it, the person said that um, as de-dollarization occurs, 
and people start to settle in um, um, different currencies. So what will happen is um, the so-called central banks will then have a lot of multiple currencies in their reserves and Haikal can, can, can allude to that. Uh, today, the, the bulk of those currencies are in dollars because trade is in dollars debt is in dollars, oil is in dollars, and so on and so forth. Okay, uh, So you re you recycle the US dollar into US treasuries because you don't want to hold dollars. You want to put the dollars into an asset which may, give, which may yield you a bit of return. So central banks basically hold their dollars in, in US treasuries, uh, US bonds, and, 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 and so on and so forth. Okay, But when you start to de-dollarize, you'll find that you don't have that many dollars. You have a lot of other, I would say funny currencies, but a lot of current multiple types of currencies in your uh, so where do you put them where do you it's, I don't want I don't want to have so much rupees I don't have so much Chinese yuan I, I don't want to put them back into into a, a, a rupee denominated bond a yuan yuan denominated bond a rupiah denominated bond you know they could be you know depreciation and, and, and so on and so forth although they may be government back and such so there's, there's, there's this uh, one particular tweet which I kind of found quite interesting he said when we reach that point um, the so-called uh, asset, the reserve asset could actually be gold. So central banks will, will then uh, take gold as the settlement asset, as the asset which basically uh, they fall back on uh, um, to, to, to convert everything to, to put it into this particular asset uh, rather than expose themselves uh, oh, I've, I'm, I've got uh, extra rupees, I'm going to put it back in um, uh, uh, RBI uh, Reserve Bank of India bonds, government of India bonds, but I really don't want the whole government of India bonds. What do I do? Which where do I put it? Then I put it in gold. Okay, uh, I know there are some Bitcoiners in the in the room. <laughs> I will not rule out. Who knows? Maybe 10, 15, 20 years from now, Bitcoin could be a reserve asset from that perspective itself. Yeah. So again, this is just throwing up things which have just cropped up in this discussion with respect to de-dollarization. Yeah. Uh, Haikal. About de-dollarization, any points to add? Please go ahead. Yep. Uh, so, I'm going to talk from the Malaysian perspective. Like. So, actually, if you realize, eh, from Bank Negara, what we have been doing is we have this so-called local currency settlement framework. So, for those companies in certain countries, like we currently have uh, local currency settlement frameworks with Indonesia, Thailand, and China among others lah. So now, instead of ha uh, corporates having to pay in dollars, they can actually settle in their local currencies. For example, in, you can settle with chi Chinese companies in Yuan or Indonesian firms in Rupiah or Thai companies in Bah. So that's one part of it. So yes, Bank Negara has been trying to not help companies to actually reduce their dependence on dollar lah. And if you notice, uh, there's a question in parliament where someone, I don't remember uh, which member of parliament was that, he actually asked what is the Malaysian government's action to actually reduce dependence on dollar. So LCF, LCSF lah is the answer. But of course, we are doing it gradually. We are not uh, we are not as gung-ho as the Russians or the Chinese lah. Suddenly saying, okay, we want to do another currency. But yeah, the, the pattern is there. Even for Malaysia, and this is public info, this is not some secret info. It has been going on since 2010. And of course, it will be gradual from uh, 
our perspective lah. And for if you if uh, Mr Sunny noticed lah yes last year, we we actually started linking uh, do it now and pay now. So now Singaporeans can just scan and use uh, pay now to actually directly transfer money to Malaysian company, Malaysian businesses, people, and so forth lah. If if you notice, so that's also another initiative from Bank Negara lah. Because we are in a we are in such close region, why do we need to depend on the dollar? So it doesn't make any sense lah. Like like the governor said during uh, an interview, it's a no brainer lah basically. Mm. So that's from the Malaysian point of view. So oh, I I heard about that the do it now to to pay now. I didn't know it was really uh, in existence. So so you mean that basically just uh, using a uh, phone number, you can actually transfer money to me. Yep, it, it started last year lah. So okay. I wouldn't be surprised if you haven't heard of it yet. Uh, I think okay. it's new or something. Just quite new, quite new. Okay, uh, then maybe later I'll just DM you my phone number. You can try it out. <laughs> <laughs> send some ringgit to me, oh. so, you send ringgit and it's, it it will be actually translated into sing. Yep, no more dollars, no okay. more having to use dollar uh, USD. No, no middleman. No middleman. Yep. Um, could the Malaysian ringgit go back to four point two? It's currently trading at four point four five, four point four six. I don't think anybody anticipated uh, such weakness. For the ringgit against the US dollar, but uh, can we go back to the four point two level or not? Let me just direct this question to the central banker, Haika. Haika, what do you think? Ringgit dropping back to four point two levels? Um, as part of my work responsibility, I'm not allowed to say. <laughs> I'm not allowed to give any figure. <laughs> I cannot target any figure, or else oi, I'm oi. in trouble. <laughs> uh, so for me, I cannot answer this question. I'll pass. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, Mr. Sunny, go ahead. Oh, okay. So, 4.2 was not too long ago. Lah. Last year, we were at 4.2. Okay. So, if you were to say why Ringgit has weakened from 4.2 to 4.45, 4.5 now, we we spoke about the interest rate differential with the with the US, right? Um, so, there's no saying that, and there's nothing to say that the US may actually not reverse course and start to reduce rates as we mentioned earlier pivoting early and, and, and maybe if there's a deep recession the central federal reserve may actually cut rates much faster than people anticipate uh, and that's being built in currently uh, for next year it may accelerate at the same time local inflation here in Malaysia may actually be elevated so Bank Negara may actually start keeping rates uh, uh, high and even nudging it higher in order to try and uh, uh, fight inflation. So, in that particular case, we will have a narrowing differential. So, with a narrowing differential, um, there's nothing to say that the ringgit may actually could not actually strengthen or wouldn't actually strengthen back to the 4.2 and even stronger than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, B- back to the basics, like, you know, At the end of the day, the interest rates will catch up, you know, to the Federal Reserve, and we will see the Malaysian ringgit strengthen against the US dollar again. Yeah. Whether but, or not- you, but if you really want to talk about the long term, I think that's short term is is quite difficult to predict because you've got all these kind of different things. So long term, the ringgit's strength is very much dependent on um, what we call not only interest rate differential. That's very short term. Uh, it's actually dependent on what we call the balance of payment. 
how much money you attract into Malaysia in terms of foreign direct investments, in terms of what we call uh, 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 financial services flow or financial flows uh, to your stock market, to your bond market, vis-a-vis the opposite outflows. Lah, okay? And secondly is your exports minus your imports. So if you have very strong exports and you have very strong ability to attract FDIs and you have very strong ability to attract money into your capital markets, then naturally speaking, your ringgit should be on a strengthening path. So these, so so that's the thing which will cause the ringgit to remain strong long term is to have these three things or at least a few of these things are, are quite solid lah, so to say. Yeah, great points again, Mr. Sunny. Uh, so Haikal, did, did did the things you mentioned just now roughly correct or not? Boleh <laughs> tak? I mean, in the long run, yes lah, of course lah. And Malaysia's balance of payment, we have positive current account actually. So a lot of it we are seeing actually a part of our de- upper depreciation is partly hot money because if you look at our bond market holdings right our foreign ho- our foreign our foreigners holdings of our bond government bonds have been shrinking to 20% from 20 is uh, is about 20 something almost 30 like, I don't remember the exact figures and also the stock market we actually see Uh, foreign flow outflows. So foreign ownership in our equities have been uh, dropping from 24 to 25 to now it's 2019 something like that. So that's also some of the reasons why ringgit has been depreciating lah. But the long the long term holders are here to stay. And if and as Mr Sunny mentioned, long term wise, which is also why why the federal government. This is not what Bank Negara can do. We do not have the authority to do structural, structural economic reforms. We can only advise them on what they should do. But ultimately, it's up to them whether they want to do it or not. That will decide where ringgit will go. Lah. And one, one, one good thing that I want to highlight today, if you notice in our parliament, parliament actually passed uh, anti-hopping law. So no more kataks, which I think is good because it gives the impression that we will have a more stable political go- governance moving forward, lah. Which reduces the possi- reduces not completely eliminate, but reduces the possibility of another Sheraton happening. So I think that will be a good catalyst for investors who are looking for political stability, lah. Yeah, not 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 only in foreign investors, but I think for the nation as a whole. You know the biggest problem with 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 again, um, you know I'm Malaysian. I I I, I you know I love my country, but there are issues with it, which I I <laughs> which I I have to admit, is the fact that the polit the politicians have never been long term enough in terms of their vision. It's always been it's always been to the next election. It's always and with all this hopping around, it's even shorter than that. It's like you know. Uh, all effort has been has been focused on on trying to gain majority by by and getting people to hop and so on and so forth. So it's 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 an excellent move, um, but at the same time, I think uh, the vision has to be long term. Those long term visions have to be followed through. You cannot have visions changing every four years, every five years, every time the government changes. You have vision changing. You need to anchor those visions, and whom no matter which government comes in. Those visions need to be followed through because they are good visions. So the big question is how to set those visions. You know, here where I am in Singapore, um, um, the, the, and again we give credit where credit is due. 
they are very visionary. They will tell you this is the plan, this is what we're going to do for the next 20 years, and they do it and they make people accountable for it. So, so you know, and and they every now and then they will bring in into a room group of people who are CEOs of of, of big multinational companies, people who are so-called futurists who try and predict the future. They they will put their own people in the room. You know that when 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 uh, um, uh, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Vitalik Buterin came to Singapore, and that was when Ethereum was really nothing. And he was giving a speech. Someone was telling me, in the front row were a few officers from the Monetary Authority of Singapore sitting down there taking notes. And this is when, when Ethereum was basically nowhere. So, so it's catching and latching on to these kind of trends, understanding that they are important or whether, assessing whether they're important, uh, uh, um, um, having the vision, having the plan put in place and having the follow-through. Because once you have it, it's good. It doesn't change. It, there are changes at the edges to make it sharper, to make it better as we go along. But not wholesale changes. I mean, I just give you one example which is very frustrating to me for many years. The use of English. You know, I, I, I remember there was once, and I don't know whether some of you have noticed and I may be wrong, but I've seen advertisements before in Malaysia which try, tries to promote Basim, the use of Basim Malaysia, which I agree to the extent of putting down English and, and like people were laughing at this person trying to use English and such, oh, kenapa tak guna bahasa Melayu or bahasa Malaysia and so on, so, which is very sad because at the, now, when you look at it, I have companies here and I speak to companies here in, 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 in Singapore who, who are switching over to Malaysia because it's cheaper, because the culture is the same as, as Singapore, so it's easier to get along people, but finding it very hard to find staff because the staff cannot speak English. At least proper English, and we're losing out because of that. So, so these kind of policies, whether to use English in school, set it, keep it there, and 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 follow up on it. So that's really how you 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 gain your competitiveness over a long period of time. Not switching every couple of years because the new government has come in and you want to show that, whatever lah, you know. So anyway, I've just rant, went on a long rant. I'll hand it back to Sinji before I add on. <laughs> uh, but, but yes it has been a, an amazing session as usual Mr. Sunny yeah thank you so much for joining uh, tonight Haikal welcome back uh, really love to have you up in this space more if, if we can uh, but unfortunately our time has run short okay guys and do check out our Twitter profile we have a lot of things going on a lot of upcoming events also and consider subscribing to our Patreon membership for those of you guys who are interested alright guys Good night. See you guys soon. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for everybody.